Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzi, and I'm the literary editor of the Weekly Standard, and this is my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. I apologize. Uh, we've had a few technical difficulties and um, are a little behind in our schedule, but I am this week looking at the October 12th edition of the Weekly Standard, and um, we lead off the section with a delightful essay by P.J. O'Rourke, um, which is a deliberately delayed review of Go Set a Watchman by Harper Lee, the prequel novel uh, to To Kill a Mockingbird. And um, P.J. is writing here um, not so much about the novel itself, um, and we really don't know all that much about its provenance, except that it seems to be the first version of To Kill a Mockingbird, which Harper Lee's editor told her to go back to the drawing board and try another version. But um, he's writing more about the reaction to it. Of course, the Atticus Finch of To Kill a Mockingbird and the popular movie, uh, as he appears in Ghost Set a Watchman, is a very different character. And this has been a huge trauma and disappointment to admirers of that uh, novel and movie. And so P.J. Um, has some interesting, and I should say very P.J. O'Rourke sort of observations on that, which I'm sure you'll enjoy very much. I know I did. Um, that is followed by a very interesting piece by my distinguished predecessor, Joseph Bottom, uh, entitled um, Classical England When Britain Was an Outpost of an Earlier Empire. This is a review of a book entitled The Real Lives of Roman Britain by uh, Guy de la Bédouillère, a French writer, published by Yale University Press. And it's about... Um, the Roman phase of uh, Britain's life, the, 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 the Romans uh, invaded um, uh, Britain in uh, uh, 44 AD and uh, controlled it for um, a couple of, I mean, excuse me, um, uh, I take that back, it was 55 BC, I was thinking of something else, sorry, uh, and um, uh, controlled it for the next several centuries. And of course, in, uh, in the course of the Roman uh, occupation of the British Isles, um, they made their uh, influence known in, in infrastructure, in cities, in um, roadways, bridges, other things. Um, the evidence of Roman Britain is still very much with us, um, not only in names, but also in places and, and language and other things. And this is something that is not fully appreciated nowadays because, of course, in between then and now we have the, the Anglo-Saxon phase of British history followed by the Norman invasion in 1066. So it's a kind of rediscovering uh, of the British Isles two millennia ago and the Roman influence and how lasting and and uh, enduring it, it actually is. A very interesting essay by Jody and sounds like an interesting book. That is followed by a piece by Martin Morse Worcester. Of a, it's a book review of a book entitled Players and Pawns, How Chess Builds Community and Culture by Gary Allen Fine from the University of Chicago Press. Um, 
I confess I'm not a chess player myself, but it is one of those, I mean, I know how to play chess, as I think most people do, but I'm never really, uh, sort of like basketball, never very much agreed with me, so I don't do it much, never have, but Lord knows that there's a large community of people out there who love chess and live chess, and every now and then chess uh, penetrates its way into the into the popular culture or the national consciousness, especially when there's some sort of dramatic uh, championship match going on. Uh, the author of this book has a somewhat more expansive view of chess's influence in society, which um, uh, Martin Morris Worcester discusses with um, wit and erudition. And um, I know you will learn something from this, as I did. Um, that is followed by a, an essay by John Simon, the distinguished uh, drama critic, um, of uh, two books, actually, by the uh, uh, Serbian-American author uh, Charles Simic, uh, The Life of Images, Selected Prose, and uh, a novel, uh, uh, excuse me, a, a collection of poetry entitled The Lunatic, um, both from Echo Press. Charles Simic and John Simon. John Simon is also of Yugoslav origins. He and Simic um, grew up in Belgrade, now the capital of Serbia. Um, Simic is a little younger than Simon and came from a somewhat um, less affluent background than Simon is, but they do have that common background. And uh, Simic is himself a, a, a very interesting uh, poet and a, a very engaging essayist, um, writing uh, kind of about daily life uh, here and in Europe, as well as existential questions that have engaged essayists throughout literary history. And um, I confess I myself have known Charles Simic only by reputation over time. I just know the name and um, who he is and what he does, but um, these two volumes, uh, especially the Life of Images uh, selected prose, have induced me to um, take a second look. Uh, and I think, as is often the case with John Simon's pieces, just the, the mere discussion of the subject um, makes it um, very interesting and prompts me to read a little further, as I'm sure will have that effect on you. Um, that is followed by an essay by uh, Ted Broman, who um, uh, uh, is a, an occasional contributor to the Weekly Standard, but also, as it turns out, a fan of light opera, and has discovered in uh, Worcester, Ohio, an institution known as the Ohio Light Opera Company, or OLO, which was founded in 1979, and which now puts on very elaborate, very professional, very polished, and very admirable productions of light opera, predominantly Gilbert and Sullivan. I think at a moment in uh, where um, the New York Gilbert and Sullivan players were obliged this season to cancel their production of the Mikado because um, some people in the theatrical community in New York uh, objected to the idea of... Um, non-Japanese actors playing Japanese roles. We're at a kind of a, a tender and 
bizarre, not to say surreal moment uh, with these questions. Um, Olo, on the other hand, uh, forges straight ahead, um, puts the, sh the sh shows on in the spirit in which they were intended, and puts them on very well. Um, uh, Ted Broman um, uh, uh, has attended many of their productions and make it makes it clear, as is often the case, that in light opera, as in many other things, uh, you get a better version of uh, the original in provincial uh, theater companies than you do in the theatrical, the so-called theatrical capitals, such as New York or Los Angeles or what have you. There's a lot of lively theater in America between the two coasts, and the Ohio Light Opera Company in Worcester um, is one of the shining examples of that. I was delighted to get the piece and very interested to learn about Olo. John Patoritz's uh, uh, film review this week um, takes us back to P.J. O'Rourke. It's a, it's a documentary entitled Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant, Dead, the story of the National Lampoon. I think for any baby boomers out there, um, the name of the National Lampoon will be uh, very familiar and may even prompt uh, happy memories and perhaps a laugh or two at some of the brilliant things that appeared in its pages in the late 1960s and 70s. Um, the, the, the documentary is, is about um, the history of the magazine, but also extensive interviews with some of the founding staffers, among whom may be counted PJ. It sounds like a very amusing and interesting, if, if sometimes sobering, uh, film, since I gather uh, not everybody in the history of the National Lampoon ended up um, with a happy ending, but uh, both uh, interesting, instructive, amusing, and uh, uh, slightly sobering account, um, all described um, very charmingly and in his usual penetrating fashion by our own John Patoris. So that is the October 12th issue of the Weekly Standard. I thank you very much for taking a moment to, uh, for me to share the contents with you, and I look forward to talking to you about next week's issue.